0: I love, I love to think about God's grace, and uh, I was thinking as they sang the song years ago. I remember hearing my dad quote a poem. I don't know who wrote it, but it said, "After all He's done for me, after all He's done for me, I think they made a song out of Miss Evelyn. How can I do less than give Him my best and live for Him completely? After all He's done for me." Paul writing to the Romans in chapter 12, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I don't know why it seems that when we are asked to live a life that is honoring and pleasing to God, we think it extraordinary. We think that it is above and beyond the call of the Christian life. For some reason, we get in our minds that a little bit of religion is okay as long as you don't go overboard with it. But I'm going to tell you right now, I'm thankful that the Lord Jesus Christ gave everything for my salvation. I'm glad He didn't just give a token. I'm glad He just didn't save me a little bit. But I'm glad He gave it all. I'm glad that He seals us under the day of redemption. I'm glad that I'm saved this morning. And when I think of grace, I'm reminded in Romans 5 when when Paul wrote, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Aren't you glad of that today? Aren't you glad that there is never a time that God's grace is never exhausted? Uh, There's never a time that it gets to the point where some sinner has sinned too much that God's grace is just not there for him. We were talking this morning about Noah's Ark and the idea that all of the dimensions of the boat were given except the dimension to the door. Because the door was not limited. The door was not something that when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me, there was not a limitation as to who could come. You know what the Bible said? The Bible said, whosoever will. Aren't you glad of that this morning? I don't care how bad of a sinner you are or I may have been in my past life, God's grace is sufficient to save every one of us. The Bible says He saved us to the uttermost. Not just partially, not just a little bit. One of the Old Testament prophets was sorrowful and went to the nation of Israel and he began to criticize the religious leaders of the day. And the fault that he was pointing out with them is that they healed the illness of the people of God. And this was the way the, the prophet said it, slightly. He said, you've healed my people only slightly. You've not, done, you've not done your best. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could get so excited about loving God and being a Christian that we just could not help but give him the very best that we have. Several weeks ago, we were pointing out the difference between the offering that Cain brought and the offering that Abel brought in Genesis. And I've heard preachers preach on that and say, well, Cain did not bring a blood offering. And I understand the idea that blood is necessary for atonement, but I don't know that that particular offering that is given, the Bible does not specify that it was an offering for atonement. But one thing I do know is that the Bible is very specific that Abel gave of the first things of his flock and the fat thereof. Cain just gave him the fruit of the ground. Just the leftovers. Just whatever he had already done and used and whatever was left over, he was going to give it to God. Can I tell you this? I think there's a lot of times in my life that I'm guilty of giving God the leftovers. I dictate my time according to what I want to do. I dictate my, my will according to what I want to do. I spend the resources that God has entrusted to me as a steward for Him uh, the way I want to. And when I'm all done, then I seem to say, okay, God, you can have the rest. Why is it that that is such a battle in our lives? Why is it that that is such a weakness when we look at the grace of God? The psalmist said, deal bountifully with thy servant, O Lord. What he was saying is, don't deal with me out of what I merit or what I deserve. He said, deal with me out of your bounty. And I'm thankful today that God does not give us what we deserve, aren't you? I'm thankful that even after we're saved, God does not give us what we deserve. I'm thankful He gives us way beyond that. Grace that is unmerited. I'll tell you, you can't think very long about it before you start realizing the love of God and the amazing love that it is. Because as much as I think there are times in my life I love Him so much it almost hurts and I can't love Him anymore, I have only paled in comparison to the love that He's had for me. And I hope we can get a hold of that this morning. That's not the message. That's just something that the Lord did while I was listening to that song. The grace of God. Oh, what a wonderful thing. You ever get to the point where you think maybe the sermon's not adequate, we may need to go a different direction? Wow, what a a thought. A songwriter wrote years ago, If we with ink the oceans filled, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade, to write, the love of God above would drain the oceans. Nor could the scrolls contain the whole. Those stretch from sky to sky. And the word picture that the author of that song wrote is so vivid, so moving, and yet it does not even come close to expressing the gratitude in my heart for the love of God. Because without Him I was lost. Without Him, there was no hope that I had to go to heaven. None. There was nothing I could do. I was raised in a pastor's home. And I'll be honest with you. If I would wanted to get into a, a lot of what we would call wickedness and sin, my dad and mom would have beat it out of me. Amen. That's a good thing, by the way, not a bad thing. And I was sharing with somebody recently, I said one of the hardest things I had to come to grips with was to realize that God had to pay the same price for my salvation as he did anybody else. I used to hear Ben get up in our pulpit in my dad's church and talk about how they lived a, a horrible, horrible life of sin. And then they would share how God miraculously got a hold of their heart and saved them. And I would watch as the people in the church would shout amen and glory to God and thank the Lord for the fact that God had reached so low into the mire of sin to reach this man or this woman that was speaking and would lift them up and save their soul. And I used to sit there as a preacher's kid and think, Lord, you didn't have to do hardly anything to save me. And it took a long time for me to realize, yes, he did. He had to go to Calvary for me. And if I had been the only one that needed to be saved, he would have still done it. That's just the love of my Savior. That's his grace. All right, well, let's get to the message. Second Corinthians 6, shall we? Second Corinthians 6. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 11. O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. <clears throat> you are not straightened in us, but are straightened in your own bowels. Now for a recompense in the same, I speak as unto my children, be ye also enlarged. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Father, we come to you and I ask that you would help and aid us this morning. Lord, my heart is uh, overflowing and my fear is that I will hinder the working of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would enable the message to go forth, that your Holy Spirit will do in the work in the hearts of men as he would see fit, that you would allow, even at the onset of this service, for us to choose to go ahead and take our will and lay it to the side and say, Lord, if you will show me your truth, I will walk in it. Lord, after all you've done for us, the message this morning will certainly not be grievous to us. To speak of holiness, to speak of walking uprightly certainly would not be burdensome to us when we consider all that You've done for us. And So Lord, I pray that You would help and aid and guide and direct in this service. Lord, I love to speak of Your love. I love to preach on who You are and all the things that we love about You. Lord, there are times that we also have to preach on the fact that we've got to get some things right in our own hearts and in our own lives. Lord, we live in a world and a society today that is quickly eroding the holy living of even your children. And I pray that you would help us to be on guard against it. That we would be yielded to your Holy Spirit working in our hearts and in our lives on a daily basis, causing us and giving us strength and earnestness of spirit to strive to live a life that is pleasing and holy to you. Lord, not trying to pat ourselves on the back or look pious before men, for Lord, we care very little of that, but we certainly do not want to do anything in our life that would bring a hindrance to the working of your truth and your Holy Spirit in this world. That as we have opportunity to talk with those that are unsaved or perhaps those that have fallen away from you in the area of their life and their walk with you, that there would be no hindrance in us speaking to them. That your Holy Spirit would be able to utilize us to accomplish your work in this world. We pray that you'll bless the message this morning. And speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Apostle Paul is used mightily. In fact, he wrote more scripture than any other single man that we know of. Is responsible for a large part of our New Testament. And he was a well-educated man. He had been taught at the feet of one of the great teachers of the day, Gamaliel. And it's interesting to me how Paul's mind works, and God used him to, because of uh, this gift that he had given to Paul, to pen many of these thoughts and put these in paper. And Paul is a master at laying down evidences and truths that all point to one conclusion and then drawing the conclusion. Uh, Years ago, there was a fellow, and many of you know who I'm talking to, that Uh, by the name of Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey was a very gifted storyteller and always had a moral to his stories and uh, were usually, as far as I know, most of all of them were true stories. And he would share something and then leave you for a a radio break and, and then he would come back and tell you the rest of the story and it was hinged on the things that he had laid down before. And Paul, in a large part, does something very similar throughout his writings as he will lay the foundation and then draw the conclusion. And his foundation begins and lasts throughout much of the first part of 2 Corinthians. As we get into the end of chapter number 5, he makes a couple of foundational statements. Number 1 is found in verse 17 of chapter 5. As he says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. You ever thought about that? Old things are passed away behold all things become what new i made a profession of faith when i was a very young child i was probably four or five years old i've shared this before but nothing changed in my life there was no understanding there was no act of faith i just simply saw people going to an altar and thought that looks neat i want to do that i asked my mom if i could go and she said let's wait till we get home And she talked to me for a little while, she led me in a prayer, and for many years I thought I was saved. This verse became something that bothered me much. Because even though maybe outwardly I I had to live a certain way, because my mom and dad uh, were were good, strict parents and firm parents and made us uh, live a certain way, in my heart I knew there was nothing different. And according to this verse, when God saves us, the old nature is passed away, and the the, the new nature comes in to live inside of us, and all things are made new. In the month of November in 1983, I had been under conviction for several months, and finally I had had enough. I went to school that morning knowing we were going to have a chapel service, and I had already made up my mind when the invitation comes I am not waiting any longer. I'm going to get this matter settled. And Mr. Dewerstock was the man who was preaching that morning in, in chapel. And for whatever reason, God led him not to give an invitation. But he did have us bow our heads. And he said, if you've got something you'd like us to pray about, raise your hand. And boy, my hand shot up. Thank you. You may put them down. We put them down. And to this day, I was so thankful that Brother Durstock was sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Because he came to the next class that I was in after chapel and he called me out of class. He said, Greg, I just can't help but think that there's something on your heart. He said, the Lord asked me to come up here and call you out of class. We went down to his office and I said, Brother Durstock, I'm not saved. Make a long story short, I trusted Christ as my Savior for the first time that day. I put my faith in something that I knew I could not do myself. I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and said, Lord, if you move, if you don't save me, then I'm lost. I'm trusting you. And something changed. I, I can't explain it. I can't sit here and say, well, there was a feeling something was different. All of a sudden, I didn't have to go to church because Mom and Dad made me. I got to go to church. All of a sudden, I didn't endure the youth activities and the, the preaching time of the chapel services. I longed for them. I'll never forget they, every day they would have in our homeroom they would have devotions to start the day and they would pick one of the students to share a verse of Scripture and a thought and then we would pray together. I'll never forget the next morning I came in and I said, I went to the homeroom teacher. I said, I don't know who's scheduled today, but could I give the devotion today? Man, I couldn't wait. I come in the next morning and I don't know what happened, but I said, teacher, I don't know who's scheduled today, but can I give the devotion today? And I did that for about two weeks. And finally she said, Greg, we've got to let somebody else have an opportunity. Can I tell you something changed in me? Because if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. We're born again. We're new. The Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of us. And after all he's done for me, how can I do less than giving my best? Not the leftovers. Not the token. Not the, well, I'll just give God a little bit of my time this week. I'll go to church and look good in front of people and, you know, they'll, they'll think I'm a good Christian and I'll go on with my life. No, no, no. My best. My best. And I love what he says as we get down to the end of chapter 5 in verse number 20. He says, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. I'm thankful God chooses to use us, aren't you? I word it that way because the truth is, some of us think that God has to have us. That God needs us. Can I tell you, God doesn't need us. (laughs) How arrogant are we when we say something like that? That we think that God needs us? God chooses us. Out of His great love, out of His great wisdom, He chooses us. And he goes to us and he says, now that you're saved, I want you to take what's happened in your heart and in your life and I want you to go everywhere you can in all the world and tell everybody you find about it. And what a great honor that is. What a great joy that is. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. We get down to our text verse in verse number 11 of chapter number 6. I want you to notice this. <coughs> he says, Oh, ye Corinthians. And by the way, we read the Scripture sometimes because we've read it so often. Have you ever noticed this? That we miss some things. Paul is exclaiming this. You say, how do you know? Because he uses the word O. Oh. It's not just... Ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. It's, O Corinthians, our mouth is opened unto you and our heart is enlarged. I've talked to several pastor friends of mine and other folks, and it's interesting to me that those that seem to be most used of God usually feel most inadequate to be used of God. God puts a burden on our hearts sometimes, and God puts such a, a, a an overwhelming, almost an intolerable burden that when we give the very best we have in service to Him, we look at it and say, "When I compare that to the burden He's laid on my heart, it was inadequate." Paul was saying, "My heart is enlarged for you, O ye Corinthians." And then he goes on in verse number 14, and he makes some statements that I'll be real honest with you. Our flesh, it doesn't like to hear these words. In fact, you know, even in the Christian life, there's that old nature that tries to stick its head up and say, I don't think the Bible ought to say that. It's a verse that we oftentimes look at and we say, well, that's concerning marriage. And the truth of the matter is it's not. As he says in verse number 14, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? Now, follow me for a moment, would you? When Satan fell, he hated God. In fact, the Bible says that he is at enmity with God. Satan wants to do everything he can, even among God's people. Satan wants to do everything that he can, since he knows he can't get your soul and he can't get my soul. He's going to do everything he can to destroy our life and our testimony. And He has it in for you. If you don't realize this yet or not, the Bible says in Matthew chapter number 5, in the similitudes when Jesus was speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, He says, Ye are a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid. He doesn't say that you're only that when you're living right. You're a city. You're a child of God. And the world is looking at you. And the world is looking at me. And they see us whether we are sold out for God and a testimony for God, Or whether we are backslidden and bring a reproach to God. We are a city set on a hill and we cannot be hid. We live in a day, we live in a day where our world is so criticizing us as Christians for holy and right living for morals that are not based on our social and our political uh, policies in our country, but because Christians will let's say we want to live on our morals based on the principles of God's Word. And they ridicule it, and they criticize it, and they pressure, and they, they, they do everything that they can to cause Christians to say it's not worth the cost. I'll just fit in. I don't want to be offensive to anyone. But God says, Come out from among them. Be ye separate. Touch not the unclean thing. He says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? We just read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that when we were in Christ, we became a new creature. And that which used to be in communion with the things of the world and with the things that Satan had and with the philosophies of society, that is all gone now and a new creature is built. That, that, that indwelling of the Holy Spirit, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. And when the Holy Spirit indwells us, the desires, the will that we had that wanted to follow after the things of the world and after our fleshly appetites and after the affections that we had that were worldly and ungodly, one day that happened and it changed the moment I got saved. Now my desire is to do what the Holy Spirit wants. You say, Brother Greg, how do you know what the Holy Spirit wants? Well, a big part of it is right, right here. He tells us you don't even have to question. You don't even have to wonder. You know how many times I've heard Christians say, well, I know the Bible says this, but, and you can put anything you want to after that, what they're saying is I don't want what the Holy Spirit wants in my life. I want the old nature. You know, this is a, never ceases to amaze me. This is the greatest battle I struggle with in my life. To take my will and say, Lord, I don't want it to be mine. I want it to be yours. And Folks, I'm going to be real honest with you. I'm going to be as transparent today as I can be. It's something that I have to do every single day. And I know the days that I don't do it. That I take my will and say, Lord, it's not mine. It's going to be yours. And if that battle is not faced and fought all the time, It's not long before those of us that have been delivered from the law of sin and death and now live under the law of the Spirit. We say, no, I don't want that anymore. I want to go back to the law of sin and death. I want to have that fun over here. I want to have that enticement. I want to have that glitz and glamour that the world has to offer. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath light with darkness? What fellowship does someone who's a child of God have with the child of the devil? Why would we link arms? Why would we join in? Why would we walk in lockstep with them? I've heard people say before, well, you've got to be like the world in order to reach them. No, 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 no. That's not what my Bible says. When I act like the world and then claim to be a Christian, you know what I'm telling them? I'm telling them that I know what the problem is, I just don't know what the answer is. And the truth of the matter is, I do know what the answer is, don't I? The answer is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not here to point men to me, to get them to accept me. I'm here to point men to the Lord Jesus Christ. I could care less what they think about me. It says in verse number 15, And what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? What's the temple of God? What is it? We are. It tells us right there. Ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said. Now notice this. He's going to give some promises here, and I love this. I will dwell in them. I don't know if that shocks you or amazes you as much as it does me, but I'm going to tell you this. For an almighty God that I cannot even come close to explaining, to say I'm going to come and live inside of you. And then for me to say, well, I just couldn't help it. I just can't seem to get victory in that area of my life. Oh, yes, I could. If I simply would say, I'm going to take my will and I'm going to make it His. If I simply would get to the place where I would say, Lord, after all You've done for me, I'm not just going to give You a token of my effort, I'm going to give You all of it. He says, I'm going to live in You. Notice He says in verse 16, I will dwell in them and walk in them. What a fellowship and what a sweetness there is in that. And I will be their God, and they shall be My people. These are the promises God's given. Wherefore. Anytime you see the word wherefore or therefore, you always look immediately before it to see what God has just said. Because the statement that's getting ready to be made is based on it. Because God says, I will dwell in them... And walk in them, and be their God, and they shall be My people, speaking of you and I. Wherefore, come out from among them, who's them? The unfruitful works of darkness, the children of Belial, the unrighteous. Come out from among them, and be ye separate, and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you and will be a father unto you and ye shall be my sons and daughters says Brother Greg at Keith Heights Baptist Church is that what your Bible says? no lest you think I'm preaching heresy mine doesn't say that either Brother Greg doesn't stand up and say listen folks we need to come out from among them and we need to be separate we need to touch not the unclean thing And God's given us promises if we'll do that. These are the things that God's going to do. He's going to come live in us. He's going to walk with us. He's going to be our God. Let us be His children. Brother Greg doesn't say that. Look what it says. Verse 18. Sayeth the Lord what? Almighty. If we can't trust God's Word, whose Word can we trust? If we cannot... Trust God's reproof. Whose reproof can we trust? If we cannot trust God's command to us, God's instruction for living for us, then whose can we trust? And I want you to understand and know that the chapter and verse divisions were done later in our Scripture reading. This was written as a letter. And there is a continuation in verse number one of the thought. Having therefore these promises, what promises? I'll live in you, I'll walk in you, I'll be your God, and you shall be my people. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. Let me ask you a question this morning, and we're almost done. Who's Paul writing to? Is Paul writing to the lost? Who's he writing to? He's writing to a church in Corinth. Let us cleanse ourselves. And notice this. Paul doesn't say, let you cleanse yourself. Paul said, folks, I'm in the same boat you are. This battle that you're facing, I face it too. It's something we all must face. He says in verse 1, let us cleanse ourselves from some of the filthiness that creeps into our life. Is that what it says? What does it say? It says from what? All filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Little s. That's our will. That's our affections. That's our desires. That's our mindset. We must cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Notice this. Perfecting what? Perfecting what? Holiness. In the fear of God. What, what ought to be this, the, the, the thing that we strive for in the Christian life? What ought to be the daily effort that we put forth in the Christian life? To strive for holiness. Folks, I want to be real careful about this. Because we don't preach as much as we ought to on the subject of holiness. And yet the Bible is very, very clear about it, is it not? In fact, Jesus said, be ye holy, for I am holy, didn't he? The idea that there ought to be something about a Christian that is clean and pure and holy ought to be something that we strive for in the Christian life. And yet we've lived in a society in a time period in my lifetime where churches and buildings and organizations have risen up that says it doesn't matter how you live. And I don't know where they're getting it from, but they are not getting it from the Bible. Churches that will stand up and say, you know what, it's okay, y'all just go ahead and drink and dress the way you want to and act the way you want to. You know, the cuss words, you know, let them. that's no big deal. God understands. Not in my Bible. He say, Brother Greg, that's hard to hear. I'm not the one saying it. We go to a church that will sit there and tell you it's okay to live after the flesh. When we go to churches or we listen to preachers that says it's okay, it's okay that you change the morals of the Word of God to fit the society you're living in. Then there's something wrong with that church. There's something wrong with that man standing up there and saying that holiness is not in Scripture. The striving, the perfecting of holiness. And notice that Paul says this about the holiness, as he says, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Can I tell you this? It is an ever-striving effort. It's not something we do once and say, I have reached it. In fact, the Apostle Paul, as great a Christian as he was in Scripture, one of my heroes of the faith, when I look at Paul's life and see what he endured for the cause of Christ, I could only wish and hope that I could be that faithful. And yet even Paul said, I have not yet attained. What, Paul? You're one of the greatest Christians I know. Surely you have reached the perfection of holiness. No, no. Paul said, I have to bring my body into subjection every day. Every thought into captivity for the Lord Jesus Christ. In the early part of Paul's ministry, in some of the first letters he wrote, he said, I am a sinner. Towards the middle of his ministry, in some of the letters that he wrote, he said, I'm a great sinner. At the very end of his life, you know what Paul said? He said, I'm the chiefest of sinners. We're talking about one of the greatest men of Scripture, one of the greatest men of faith. One of the men that I look at and I say, this is a man, if anybody knew of the grace of God, Paul did. And at the end of his ministry, he said, I have not attained. He said, I'm the chiefest of sinners. Out of all the ones that I know, I'm the worst. You know what most of the time we try to do, and I've said it so often before, we try to justify our sins. We think the worst sins there are are the sins that somebody else has, not mine. Mine are okay. And we live in a day when preachers get up and try to preach on things like this from Scripture. You know what most folks respond with? That offends me. I'm not going back to that church. That preacher, all he does is preach about how bad of a person I am. Oh, that's that's not, you've missed the point. We're all in the same boat. We all deserve to die and go to hell, don't we? That's what we deserve. I'm saying these are things we ought to do because of what He's done for us. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Folks, I don't know if you realize this or not, but we live in a day where there needs to be a revival among God's churches and God's people in the area of holiness once again. Because our world is starving for it. See, Brother Greg, I might offend somebody. And I'm not saying you won't. But we must do what God has asked us to do. When Peter and John were brought before the leaders of the religious group at the time, And they were threatened not to preach anymore in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Their reply was this. Whether we should obey man rather than God, you must decide. But we're not going to stop but speaking of the things that we have seen and heard. I didn't quote that directly, but as best I know the the Scripture, that's where they dealt with. That's, That's how they responded. Because they said it doesn't matter what man thinks. What matters is what did God say. And folks, we've got to have a revival of that. We've got to have a return to it. It's easy to come to church on a Sunday morning and hear Brother Greg preach and then leave and say, I've done my religious duty for the week I've gone to church. Can I tell you this? The Christian life is far more than just attending a service on a Sunday morning. In fact, that's probably one of the smallest parts of the Christian life. The Christian life is a daily battle And strife uh, strife with the devil in this thing of holiness. The temptations, the pressures that we get from every side. And I'm sad to say that some of it even comes from God's own people. I've met people who've tried to live a holy life and a clean life. And and even people in the church begin to criticize them. Folks, we need to pray for one another. We need to encourage and edify one another in these things. And the Bible says we ought to be doing this so much the more as we see the day approaching. We're living in a day where we need to have a revival of God's people in this area of holiness once again. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed and eyes closed, and we'll have just a hymn or two of invitation. If God has spoken to your heart, we want to give you